Okay, guys, usually we get right into the show, but I wanted to take just a moment to talk to you all. First of all, the show is now in its 16th year. Very happy about that, and I want to thank you for being here. A number of you have said that you would like to support the show. Well, if you're interested, now you can. If you've ever gotten enjoyment or inspiration from the Paul Leslie Hour, you could become a patron. All you do is go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour, and you're there. All right, let's get into the show. The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Lawrence Hobgood has been called one of the finest jazz pianists out there by Jazz Times and a piano virtuoso by the New York Times. He is a band leader, composer, arranger, and recording artist. Every now and then, hosting this show, I'll get a record that just makes me say, wow. And what I'm talking about is his new album. It's called Tessa It's a jazz trio and string quartet project. It has quite a variety of interpretations from Jimmy Webb's Wichita Lineman, Paul McCartney's Blackbird, Hoagie Carmichael's Georgia On My Mind, and a number of others. Lawrence, thank you very much for making the time to talk to me. Ah, well, thank you. It's great to be on with you. It's a pleasure. How did you end up choosing this selection of songs that you recorded on Tessa Terra? Uh, well, they're all songs that I very much wanted to cast in this particular instrumentation. And they also filled the slot, if you will, of songs that in some way I consider to be a standard of sorts. A lot of it obviously coming from update the songbook mentality as a arranging mentality, if you will, to include more, more recent writers of popular music, which let's remember that Gershwin and Jerome Kern and Harold Arlen and all those guys that, that so much of uh, what bebop and early modern jazz artists based their work on, that was the popular song from that day. In fact, you know, recent past for the most part, it wasn't, when, when, when those guys were playing Gershwin, it wasn't super current. It was from about 20 or 30 years before. So the music of Paul McCartney and Jimmy Webb, the great pop songs from the, and specifically from the era I grew up in. So, and then, and then if you go on a case by case basis, slightly different reasons for each one, I would say. One that I really liked, and I would be very curious to know what the inspiration was, and wow, what a cool, interpretation of we shall overcome Mm. okay well yeah let's just say that i started writing that arrangement the morning after the 2016 presidential election and that was my emotional response at the time And, and, and i wrote for three days i think i just didn't didn't do anything else until it was finished because i knew what i wanted to say with it and um, that's that was it. Although these are instrumentals, I'm curious to know, are you thinking about the lyrics ever when you're playing? Absolutely. And a great question, by the way. But yes, I'm thinking about the lyrics when I'm playing. And even more so, I'm thinking about the lyrics when I write the arrangement. I write the arrangement with the lyrics in mind to, the, to an extent that maybe I don't have to think about them as much when I'm playing because... 
the arrangement itself has been imbued with the meaning of the tune. That's, or at least one interpretation of the meaning of the tune. That's what I try to do. Interesting. Because the, the example that I brought up, the first one, we shall overcome. It's interesting because I really like what you did there on that song. And I think about the lyrics when I've been listening to it. Yet I don't miss hearing the singer at all. <laughs> so. Right, right, cool. right, right, right. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> I'm hoping you can tell us about the title of this album, Tessa Terra, In the Can. What what made you call it that? Well, I don't know. They're just I, I mean, I remember that the, the process, once I'd had the idea, it just kind of sprang to mind one day. I am the son of a theater professor, and I grew up in a very literary-oriented household. And when you put that together with the twisted brain that I am either blessed or cursed with, depending on how you view it, I do a lot of I'm a, I'm a, I do a lot of wordplay. I do a lot of syllabic inverting and interpretation. It's just based on uh, sonics. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that that I enjoyed the poem jazz collaboration with Robert Pinsky so much is because he deepened my 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 knowledge of and my feelings about the sound of words. Not just the words and not just their meaning, various meanings, but the way that they sound. So that really, I'm sure it was well behind it because I just play with that stuff all the time in my head. And of course, tessitura is uh, uh, an Italian term that is used in music a lot, meaning the pleasing part of an instrument or voice's range, the the strong part, if you will. But it, its root meaning is texture. So it's this, it's about texture and the texture of this ensemble. This is a, a term that the idea is for, ideally, in an ideal world, Tessitera is the name of the first record, but it's actually also the name of this particular instrumentation, and I hope to do other records for this instrumentation in the future, although that won't be the next thing that I do. I'm not just all of a sudden going to be the trio and string quartet guy. In fact, my next record is classic quintet with the tenor and trumpet and uh, rhythm section. And it's completely written. I just haven't had a chance to record it yet. Well, since you're going to delve into this particular lineup again, are there any songs that you are just itching to get your hands on? Oh, oh yeah, always. <laughs> no, I, I, there's a there's a there's a list uh, in the notes section of my phone. I keep I keep separate lists for vocal arrangements because as you probably know I spent a lot of time working with singers and arranging for their records and so that's one list and then list that uh that I just want to do instrumental things with but this the uh the just to mention the quintet thing I'm going to do is all original that's I kind of wanted Tessa and the quintet record to be a little bit of a juxtaposition Tessa all arrangements of known songs the quintet record will be all original material well, I didn't really answer your question. There's nothing, nothing specific is coming to mind right now exactly, but I've got a, oh, I know one. I know one. Um, uh, Windmills of Your Mind, on uh, Windmills of Your Mind. Oh, man. You know the song I'm talking about? Michelle Legrand. That one, that's exactly, that's one that I really want to, I want to take that and do. Similar to Blackbird, I mean, I want to really fractalize it. It's not going to be too obvious, but you'll, you'll, Hear the song. I got a whole thing I want to do with that. 
That's just such a classically beautiful tune, you know. And one of the just great compositions of our time. Yeah, and and great movies, you know, the original Thomas oh, Crown yeah. Affair and that great remake uh, from a few years ago. Really nicely arranged in that movie. And it's just a, it's it's <laughs> cool, great tune. Just a few minutes ago, you were mentioning your father. How mm-hmm. have your parents influenced your work? Well, from the from the general, which would include the the breadth of music that I got exposed to from you know infancy onward in our home was pretty impressive for the time my father was a theater teacher so he was around a lot of young artistic people and because he also had a very egalitarian and loving musical ear he fell in love with blood sweat and tears the same so so i mean i heard the more especially what i think of as intellectually driven pop music chicago blood sweat and tears later Earth went Peter Gabriel singing, you know, that kind of stuff. But then they were playing Brubeck and Duke Ellington when I was a little kid. Always classical music. And I even had a, my father's older brother, Bob, was a very famous country agent. Handled Johnny Cash and actually Elvis briefly. Big, big guy in country music. So we, I had heard a lot of country music. My mom was an Appalachian folk artist. I heard all this, uh, which is separate from the stuff I heard from around my uncle. So I just heard all this all this music from all these different styles around the world and um it's uh it 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 had a really profound impact and then a very specific thing to to give you another important part if i'm going to answer that question fully is that i got a lot from watching my father rehearse theater a lot Hmm. of my theories about first and foremost how to rehearse an ensemble but especially if you're playing music that's a little bit more intricate a little more challenging, then rehearsal becomes really, really important, man. It's really important. It's when we figure out how we're going to play, not just what we're going to play, how are we going to play. And frankly, there's not enough really great, thorough, deep rehearsing in jazz. This is just my opinion, but I, I'm a rehearsal freak. So uh, a lot of that comes from just growing up in this environment where I was watching a master rehearser rehearse all the time and pull things out of people that they didn't even know that they had. Admittedly, a little apples and oranges between a theater and a jazz context, but maybe not as much as some some might think, you know. So that was a real specific thing I got from him that's very, very special to me. Are jazz fans unique? Yes. And not only are they unique, but it's funny you should ask that question. I am of the very strong opinion that one of the hidden, unfortunately hidden, but if somebody was to do the research the right way, quantifiable things about jazz is that the jazz audience, I believe, comes from an absolutely unprejudiced percentage swath of the population. There's no explanation for why some people just have that certain – it's not just that it's quantitatively more sophisticated. It's not that simple. It's it, it's qualitatively – as well, there's plenty of sophisticated music out there. People that gravitate toward jazz, there's something about not only the emotion and the history of it, but the math, if I can say it that way, of the way the music is more intricate than a lot of forms of music. And in my experience, there's this phenomenon. I'm convinced it's a phenomenon, you know, that 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 there that there is not. It's not, you know, rich people from this geographic area are more likely to dig jazz than some person that's, that's, you know, more challenged materially and comes from this 
part of the country I or world. I just think there's a certain percentage of humanity that's spread completely evenly amongst the population that is going to respond to jazz. And that makes jazz fans very special, I think. Very, very interesting. So how did you start this this train of thought that you're on? Because I agree, and I don't know why. <laughs> but, uh, it, I'll be I'll be honest with you. It's just uh, it's just pretty empirical observation, man. You know, I mean, I don't do hard touring anymore. That I made some life changes that were in part related to my desire to not spend as much time on the road. But um, I I uh, I've just seen so many audiences. I've met so many people and I'm a student of pattern. That's what in a real simple description, that's what people like me do, whether it's in the music or in human beings. And I just noticed this thing, man, it's a it's a real diaspora, <laughs> the jazz audience. And it's very evenly distributed. And I think I do think that there are reasons for that, but I think our our uh sociocultural behavioral science hasn't answered that question yet. Nobody nobody's approved that grant money. Best case scenario, what would you like for someone to get out of listening to this record? Oh, well, first and foremost, I would like them to realize that they're really just enjoying in a visceral way something that admittedly has been pretty heavily scripted. And and I'd like for them to even maybe even lose the sensation that time is passing. I mean, to me, that's the ultimate litmus test for any recording or live performances. Can you make can you make the time just go away because people are so wrapped, you know, at, at what they're hearing? So that would be the goal. <laughs> Do you have a dream collaboration, one that would just make you flip out? Oh, sure. Yeah, I've got, uh, well, I mean, within jazz, the ultimate dream would be to somehow collaborate with Wayne. I I just worship Wayne more than probably, I'd put him on a pedestal more than anybody who's still alive. That's very unlikely. He's, I guess it's understood he's not that well these days. And, um, you know, he's, he's getting up there. That would have been really something. I never got to play with him. On the uh, on the broader front, I do I would I would love to do something with Sting. That would be something that I would really dig doing, and uh, no no reason to think that would ever come up. But I did one of his tunes on my record. I've I've got friends that have done versions of a certain artist, you know, big pop artist's tune, and the next thing you know, they do get an email or a call from like like somebody like Sting goes, I heard the arrangement you did a Every little thing she does is magic, and wow, you know. But but hey, don't get me wrong. You can't you don't you can't think about that stuff unless somebody asks you in an interview. <laughs> but you can't really you can't really sit there and go, God, I wish this would happen, uh, because it just doesn't work that way. But in this day and time, you just never know who's listening. That's for sure. Well, that's the one thing. That's the asterisk <laughs> on the whole point. You don't ever really, you never really know. It does. Things happen. People hear stuff. You never know. Is there a certain environment that you like to create for yourself when you're making these arrangements? Well, I just have my home studio dialed in the way I 
want it. That's, I mean, that's the environment, you know, for me just to be able to go get in a real internalized state where I've got my, my, my home around me, you know, that's, that's it. That's the place. What about a mental state for creativity? Is there, is there a certain mental state that you like to have? Well, there, there is. Yeah, there's a certain mental state that I like to have, and that, of course, would be almost the, the cliche idea of just feeling inspired, feeling energized by the idea that you currently have, feeling like you're in the middle of a story that's sort of telling itself, it's writing itself. But just being candid, you know, I, because of the way I've structured what I'm spending my time doing, I can't afford what you might call writer's block or, uh, <laughs> you know, so I just, it's, and, and another way of saying that, which just sounds like bragging, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I just don't happen to have a problem with, with writer's block. There's always ideas in there, you know, there's always a thing that has to do with the well never runs dry for me because I, I don't, it doesn't have to be all in me. A lot of it's in the music. The music tells you what it wants to have happen, you know, all you got to do is listen to it. So it's not, to me, it's not that big of an idea that I never run dry of ideas. And that doesn't mean to say that every idea is always the best one that could be. I end up revising stuff and I'm like, hey, you know, there are things, that can, there are always things that could be better. Although I will say the arrangement of Sweet Judy Blue Eyes that's on the record, I, that, that one I knew was going to be a handful and it, I wrote literally for a solid month, about eight hours a day to do, to, to do that. That's how long, that's how long that arrangement took. That was different than every other arrangement on the record. Hmm. But you just get in a state where you just have to grind it, man. You just have to grind it out. It's, it's deadline driven mentality. And we need this music. We need it by this date and you make it. You make the music. That's it. What is the best thing about being Lawrence Hobgood? Oh, being married to Ariane Reinhardt. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I, I don't easy, know. Easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I always like to let, let the guest take the stage at the end of the interview. Not limited to music. What would you say to anyone who's tuned in? I would say that they would be doing themselves a huge favor if they find some way to slow down. Find There's got to be something in their lives that they could be more in the moment about. And for most people these days, that means slowing down. A great example of that would be that I, even amongst our intelligent jazz fans that we already identified earlier, how, how special they are, but even amongst them, I, I've become a little cynical <laughs> as my, I'm almost, you know, turned 60 in just a couple of months. So that inevitable creeping cynicism is uh, starting to be there. I don't, I don't know how many people really sit, whether with headphones or if they actually are one of those rare birds that still has a decent audio system at home, to sit and listen to music with completely focused attention on the oral experience of listening. That's, that, there's no better way to calibrate than the moment other than actual deep, you know, spiritual meditation, mindfulness meditation, whatever. 
and uh, I think there's people that, that, that think of themselves as huge, huge fans and supporters of music, but I don't know whether they have this internal experience that often of just getting lost in it. Just give yourself that gift, you know, half an hour here and there, just put the earphones on, think about investing in at least a decent sound system instead of just some little cube and listen to music, <laughs> you know, and it'll, it, it's, it's rich, it's rich. And when someone has been mentioning that, which it was about a month ago, someone said something kind of similar to what you were saying. And I, I would just add that if they have a chance to turn off the lights and fully listen and maybe Big just time. close their eyes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be very light. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually super I'm freaky about light when it comes to listening. you gotta, you got to take the pressure off your optic nerve if you want your ears to engage right. <laughs> um, Lawrence Hobgood, thank you very much for making the time to talk. Indeed, and I and uh, I appreciate it, Paul, very much. Happy to have the time with you. All right, sir. Until next time, I hope. All right, and hi to everybody there. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it, man. Keep doing it. I have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Feelings mutual. Hey, before you go. If you've ever gotten enjoyment or inspiration from one of my interviews, maybe this one, consider being a supporter on Patreon. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour. All right, folks. Thanks so much. Goodbye.